All right, everybody, I'm Scott. And I'm Brittany. And this is the Film Cafeteria, and today we are talking about one of the two big summer blockbuster releases of 2023, which is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Yes. Uh, we got to see this at the Terra Theater in Atlanta in 70 millimeter. It was an awesome experience. That was. I really enjoyed it. It was a great seeing film projected again, which is so <laughs> rare now. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. We're just going to kind of dig into the whole entire experience of seeing it and how we feel about it and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess just to start, I mean, like, of course, the the kind of big selling point of this movie is, of course, it's Christopher Nolan's newest movie. Mm-hmm. And he's been delivering kind of summer blockbusters to us since, I mean, I, I guess kind of since Insomnia, but really more than anything else since Batman Begins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of all that, that, that is his lane officially now. Yeah. He's kind of taken over the Steven Spielberg mantle of the guy that can deliver, like really, truly deliver a summer blockbuster. Yeah. Um, I guess just to start, before we get into the movie, like, do you remember, like, how you first came to know who Christopher Nolan was, or, like, kind of what your first experience was with one of his films? I actually do remember. <laughs> I remember you introducing me to Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Nolan, actually. It was actually, um, was it Mementos? Memento. Yeah, yeah Memento. Little Mementos. <laughs> the Fresh Maker. It wasn't, wasn't that like a candy in like that early 90s? <laughs> that used to be on like the trailer, by the way, to like every movie. Yeah. Especially when I would get it on VHS. So sorry. But yeah, Memento. <laughs> there was, um, I saw that because you introduced me to that. Yeah. You actually handed me the DVD to yeah. that. And that was actually my first introduction. Even though I'm, I'm pretty sure that I saw that movie on like... TBS or TNT or something, yeah, yeah. but I never, I, I wasn't was, aware of things at that time. I think it was kind of a an IFC movie when it came out. Like, but I know I've seen it, hmm, I'm trying to think, because I know I saw it before you ever handed me the DVD, but yeah. I I never saw it um in full. So yeah. maybe I saw it on like a HBO or Showmax yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, But like, um, Yes. The yeah. very first time that I really knew who Christopher Nolan was and his, starting to um, recognize his filmography was through you. Yeah. You gave me Memento. Yeah. I think and that was a long time ago. That was, was like, yeah. That's, that was like over 10 years ago. Yep. So that's what's so crazy. <laughs> I, I think it was funny because the, the, I found out about him from the same movie, but it was from my brother taking me to see it in the theater when oh, it came wow. out okay and it was one of like my favorite movie <laughs> experiences that i ever had because we were sitting there watching he didn't tell me anything about the movie he just said there's this really low budget movie that just came out mm-hmm. called memento that's you just have to see this and mm-hmm. he takes me to see it and i'm in elementary school mm-hmm. and so you know, there there wasn't like that kind of like bar for me that a lot of other people had, where somebody was like, "Oh no, you can't see this because it's rated R; or it's too complicated." Yeah. Or like that. Okay. So he. Well, does t- has anyone ever told you that about movie? The only I, I have uh, 
two movies that I was not allowed to see that I promptly went and found a way to see <laughs> as fast as possible. Okay. The first was The Exorcist. Oh. And my, I, I think kind of the reasoning for that was more, less that it would scare me and more like you're not going to understand why it's scary. Oh, okay. Got you. The other one was actually Eli Roth's Hostel. Okay. And that's because my dad saw... I think it was like Quentin or Eli Roth on because Quentin produced that one. Mm-hmm. He saw one of them on Conan O'Brien's show, and they showed the clip that's the guy uh, uh, strapped to the chair when the surgeon comes over to him. Yeah, and the part that scared me the most of that whole entire movie was the part that my dad saw that was like, "There's you do not need to see this movie," <laughs> which was when the surgeon holds his hands up and shows oh, that he has yeah. shakes. Uh-huh. And that is, like, to me, the scariest part of that whole entire movie. Yeah. Because that was when you were just like, oh, no, this is... Yeah, because he never got a chance of something to be, like, a real surgeon because of that. So he started, like, (laughs) putting everything toward just, like, dismembering bodies and stuff. Oh, my goodness. It was horrible. But so, like, that movie was the only other movie I was ever told, you cannot see this. Yeah. Other than that, nothing else was ever, like, oh, yeah, no, you shouldn't really see this. Yeah, I don't think... I ever had anyone tell me that either other than like really graphic nudity kind of things when I was growing up. Like I remember when I was young, my mom and dad used to make me like close my eyes. Yeah. But it was so funny because when we used to close our eyes, you know how you could cover it with your hands, yeah. but you're kind of like peeking through. Yeah. And then my parents just got to the point where they were just like, no, instead of covering your eyes, how about you just turn your head? Because then we'll know you can't see it because we'll see if you turn your head back, yeah. but we can't tell if you're peeking. Yeah. So it was funny as we got older, but I say by the time I was 10 or 11, that's when they first started letting me see nudity. But if yeah. we watch anything with nudity in it before I was 10, yeah. they did not let me watch I, it. I had something kind of similar where um, my dad and I watched Braveheart together on VHS. <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember, like, the Braveheart VHS was this giant box set. Wow. Because it had to be two VHSs because mm-hmm. of the length. Okay. And so, like, I remember we were watching that one together, and then there's this scene where uh, it was Mel Gibson and... I haven't seen that movie since about this age, so it's been so long. I can't really remember the movie. But there's a scene where Mel Gibson is standing with the first woman that he marries, and they're both naked. Mm -hmm. And my dad's response, because he, he knew that he was supposed to tell me to cover my eyes, but he was dozing off. And all of a sudden, he just went, oh, shit. (laughs) <laughs> don't tell your mom that you saw that oh, no. and then we just keep watching the movie oh, no. and then my mom's reaction to it when we had rented a movie and there was a sex scene that came up was just <sighs> what the hell are we watching yeah that was it so yeah that was kind of like the most i really got out of anything like that but okay. for the most part i was okay to watch pretty much anything okay yeah it was funny because like i have um siblings so mm-hmm. and i'm the second oldest of five of us mm-hmm. so <laughs> it was a lot of us like sit all of, it was yeah. family night and we would be around the tv yeah and my parents were like no all of you <laughs> turn around because we're like back to back to back yeah like we're not that far apart from each other yeah. so like we all had to turn our heads because we were all close in age at the time where we just couldn't none of us could actually like watch nudity yeah before we were like 10 my parents wouldn't let us watch until after we were 10 I think in retrospect, I put more on myself for what I could and couldn't watch than my parents did. Oh, really? Because 
a lot of movies would just scare me. (laughs) And so, like, I would just kind of be like, I don't know, you know. So, like, I would freak out when I was watching stuff more than my parents did. A couple films gave me nightmares like yeah. I re- now when i look at back at it it's just stupid yeah but i remember leprechaun yeah, yeah. and um pumpkin head yeah pumpkin head was a freaky Those, movie for a little kid oh man they freaked me out when i was growing up and i was like eight nine years old when those movies were on yeah. like showtime and cinemax and yeah you know what i mean so and stars like when those things were on like i was little so they were freaking me out. I remember waking up sometimes like, um, I cannot yeah. <laughs> close my eyes because I'm seeing the movie in my head. <laughs> I think the ones that, that really, really did that for me were um, the first two Evil Dead movies. Oh, okay. Because I was just that right age for those to be the scariest movies I'd ever seen. Yeah. And I was like, because I was probably about like 10 or 11 when mm-hmm. I tried to watch those for the first time. Okay. And... That first one in particular, if you're that right age when you see it, you don't understand how funny it is. <laughs> and it is it just is terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's very terrifying. And then when you see part two, you really don't um, it's so insane mm-hmm. that if you're the right age, that is just a terrifying movie that is not funny at all. Yeah. And you're almost more disturbed that they use like the three stooges kind of ethics with the movie to just have it be so slapstick insane yeah you're almost more disturbed by that because it's almost kind of like why are you doing this to me (laughs) i usually laugh at this kind of thing and now i'm afraid yeah i'm afraid okay but i did get to see memento in the theater when it came out and i remember that was like one of the coolest experiences i ever had in a movie because about halfway through the film i mean you've seen it so you remember Mm -hmm. it like the movie is running both in color and in black and white, something that comes back up in yeah. Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. where the color sequence is one time period, the black and white sequence is a different time period, and we're waiting for them to converge. Yeah. And at one point, he asked me, my brother asked me, he said, do you understand what's going on? And I said, the color sequences are backwards, and the black and white sequences are forwards. Oh, wow. And he went, okay, good. Oh, and then we just kept watching the movie. Yeah. And that was such a mind-blowing experience for me that then led me to when we were in he had moved to hawaii not too long after that movie came out Mm -hmm. and we were out there visiting him and he had bought the dvd yeah and on the dvd is an interview that from i think it was from other i I think his show was either on the sundance channel or on ifc i can't remember which um that elvis mitchell did with christopher nolan where Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan starts talking about the movies of Nick Rogue. Yeah. He starts talking about Blade Runner. He starts talking about Angel Heart. All of these different movies that I knew because the VHSs were all sitting in the house, but I had never watched them. And it made me suddenly really want to watch those. Mm-hmm. So I'm like probably like one of the only kids who's sitting in Hawaii, on in Maui, going like, I can't wait to get home. <laughs> and watch a movie instead of being outside in the, on the beautiful beach. Yes. yes. And um, when I saw that, that did two things. First, it was like fascinating to see his filmmaker talk about making this movie. But then the other thing was that I suddenly discovered Elvis Mitchell, who is now still... And we just saw his film. His, we, uh, is that black enough for you? Yes. We put that. That was made both of our top ten. Oh yeah, of that last was amazing. Years. That was an unbelievable movie. Yeah. And um, it, it all of a sudden, like I just discovered him, and <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden he just became like an enormous part of like what I loved about looking at movies. Also, 
But then, of course, over time, if you were following Chris Nolan, suddenly mm-hmm. there was this movie that was being covered on Entertainment Tonight called Insomnia, where oh, Robin yes. Williams was taking this role like, opposite Al Pacino, yes. where he's a serial killer. Yep. And it was like, what, what is this movie? <laughs> and then you go and see it, and it's a very... I, that's one of the movies of his that I have the hardest time with because it's an interesting movie mm-hmm. that, in my opinion, have I think it's also a little bit tainted because I saw the original because it's a remake of mm-hmm. another film that, in my opinion, doesn't totally work. Okay. And but it was still good. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we all went and saw Batman Begins. Yes. And it was like, <laughs> okay, yeah, something just happened here. Yeah. I had no idea <laughs> that superhero movies were about to take over the universe. At that time. <laughs> yeah. At that time. It just seemed like know. this guy. Who... I mean, but at that point, we had already had different versions of Batman by that point. Yeah. And we already had different versions of Spider-Man and all those things. But I just did not realize how big, how much bigger it could yeah. get. Yeah. <laughs> it got much bigger. Yeah. That I didn't, I was like, I couldn't even fan them at that time. And now you're like, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it took over. <laughs> and, you know, it was one of those things where when you saw that movie at that time, the only thing that I could really say about it was that was maybe the best Batman movie I'd ever seen. Yeah. Like, I have the, what I love about Batman, and like, we'll probably end up doing an episode about, you know, like superheroes yeah. and stuff at some point. but. <laughs> I had what I loved about, you know, the old movies, like Michael Keaton and, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I loving, uh, in particular, Batman Returns, maybe more so than the first one. Yeah, I think I love number two more than that first one as well. That was just one of those movies that you go back and rewatch now and go, like, that was not for kids. No, it wasn't. Like, at all. That was a very disturbing oh, movie. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Penguin was scary. The Penguin was terrifying. And, 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 and the yeah, he was amazing. And he was amazing. When you see as a young boy when you see michelle pfeiffer (laughs) jumping around in the tight leather something happens to you that you can't quite understand yeah so like i had all that stuff you know and 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 then i think going into that one that was one of the first ones that made me look back at some of the other ones and objectively be able to say that they weren't that good yeah like batman and robin and batman forever and when you're a little kid those movies are a lot of fun oh they are they are. In particular, Batman and Robin, like, in my opinion, not a very good movie at all. No. But, <laughs> like, you know, when you're a little kid, Mr. Freeze is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze <laughs> is kind of cool. Is it? <laughs> like, and then you go back and look at it, and you're just like, this was the stupidest thing. I don't know why. I think I like the Riddler, but I liked him in, like... Jim Carrey as the Riddler. Oh, yeah, yeah. but I like the Riddler as a... For some reason, I liked him in the cartoons, and I liked him in the old yes, show. Yes, yes. And I liked him, the toy. Yeah. But for some reason, I never quite fully caught on to it. Yeah. During, like, Batman Forever or whatever? Was Batman it? Forever was yeah. when Jim Carrey was... And then Poison yeah. Ivy, or what was her name? Was Poison Ivy? Poison Ivy was in Batman Returns. Oh, I mean, uh, Batman what? and Robin. No, That's no, I'm sorry, like, Batman what? and Robin. Uh, Batman Forever was the Riddler, Riddler? and uh, um, Two-Face, and Tommy oh, and Lee Two-Face. Jones was Two-Face. Okay. Man, I haven't seen both... I haven't seen either of those yeah. in so long. I can't even remember which villains were in which movie. That was a... Uh, that was very interesting. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
I'm not very sure what they were doing with those. Yeah. You know, Chris O'Donnell as yes, Robin. Uh, Robin. Yeah. Later, we will have Joseph Gordon-Levitt as some iteration of Robin. And a mixture of something else. Yeah, I'm not very sure what, the, what we were doing there. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> but then, of course, like after that, Nolan did what is maybe one of his most interesting movies that not a lot of people seem to talk about. Which is The Prestige. Oh, yes. I like The Prestige. And that was one of those movies that had elements of things that you would end up seeing in Oppenheimer. Yeah. So, like, for anybody listening, we are going to spoil all of Oppenheimer. <laughs> so, if you haven't seen it, you should probably see it. And you want it. to see it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't listen to this. It, but, like, uh, even looking at something like David Bowie as Nikolai Tesla. Mm-hmm. And then what we would have with Oppenheimer where Gary Oldman just shows up. Yeah as Truman mm-hmm. and you're kind of like oh, okay so he was already doing that for a while mm-hmm. he's had that kind of uh he's been talking a lot at, uh, recently with Oppenheimer about how much of an influence JFK the Oliver Stone film was on Oppenheimer mm-hmm. and that's definitely evident with the editing and the way that the movie's put together yeah but it's even more evident that there is an Oliver Stone influence that has been in almost all of his movies post memento which was putting big actors in character actor roles putting movie stars in character actor roles yeah where suddenly you have david bowie showing up you know as tesla you have andy circus showing up as his assistant you have all of these great actors showing up in roles that normally would just kind of go to like a tom conti who played you know, Einstein. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's giving it to like superstars. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he would do that in a huge way with The Dark Knight. Yeah. Where The Dark Knight is just filled to the brim with everybody from <laughs> Heath Ledger to Michael Caine to Aaron Eckhart to Tebow. And Matthew <laughs> yeah. And, um, of course, he, you know, comes in with Inception. Mm hmm. A very yeah. divided movie that I love. Like, I yeah, mean, I liked um, Inception. I liked Inception, so I don't really have too much complaint about that one. I, Which I realized we probably could have watched that one as well. Yeah, I would have been fine. We would have seen that one. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a really long yeah. time, and now I kind of want to watch yeah. it. But like, yeah, yeah that, that was a, a one of those really, really fantastic films for me. That I saw that movie twice in a row on opening day. Yeah, in the IMAX, yeah. I saw it and then it ended, and then I went and got lunch and went back in and watched it again. <laughs> And like was just blown away yeah. by by that film. Yeah, Dark Knight Rises comes up. Yes, and I know that that is one that you really love. Yes, but my favorite is oh yeah, because you already you didn't say Dark Knight, but yes, Dark Knight Rises yeah. come up, and I love that one. That's like one of my favorite. Like I can skip <laughs> the other ones. Yeah. Like I love them too, but I can skip the other ones just to watch that one. Like I don't have to watch. All three, yeah, for it to complete me, yeah, <laughs> you complete me. <laughs> no, I don't need. All, I don't need all three. All I need yeah. is Dark Knight Rises, and I'm good. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting because, like, when when I go back to that one, that's maybe the one that has some of his best filmmaking and one of my favorite performances, which of course was Tom Hardy as Bane. Yes, I think that performance was unbelievable yeah um but as a movie itself is maybe his one of his most frustrating to me (laughs) because i just don't 
I still don't really get what we were doing with the vast majority of that plot. I, I yeah, I guess you're right. But in a way, too, I'm just in awe of it, too. I can't, yeah. the cinematography, like, yeah. everything about it, I'm just in awe of it. And, like, to me, Bane is one of my, like, favorite villains. Like, yeah. you know that there was a point where I could not, I don't, like, I don't know why, but no matter what movie I watch that had a villain-related story, like some superhero movie or whatever I watched, I never could relate to any of the villains. I couldn't, I, I hated every villain. I was like, yeah. I can't see nothing in you that I like. Yeah. And then I get to Dark Knight Rises, and that was like one of the first times I started really like loving villains in these stories. Yeah. For some reason, Dark Knight Rises opened that Pandora <laughs> box for me. I was like, I like that villain. <laughs> I, it's actually funny because I'm in, I am definitely in the minority of this one, but the, uh, uh, like my favorite of the Batman villains was actually Scarecrow. Okay, like, yeah, that was, you're, that's not. <laughs> that was actually Killian Murphy. The way that he did that role, the way like I love that like he essentially came in and did a performance very similar to what he did with like Red Eye. Yeah, but it was like times ten. Yeah, and I get it, but it, for some reason, not. <laughs> I I just really really loved like the entire idea of like the sociopathic yeah. villain that can just hide in plain sight. Like, mm-hmm. everybody knows that this guy's corrupt. Yeah. But they don't realize that he is a supervillain. Yeah. And there was something about that aspect of him being this kind of, like, twisted character that I love. And I love that he came back. Mm-hmm. He's the only villain mm-hmm. that pops up in all three. Oh, yeah, he does. Because in the very beginning of the first yeah. one, you, I mean, of uh, Dark Knight, you know, mm-hmm. he pulls off the mask and, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, uh, uh, you know, Batman says something about not needing help and, you know, he's like, not my diagnosis. You know, yeah. he's got, and then in the third one, he's the the, the judge. judge. Yeah. Which was just hilarious. I just love that, like, Killian Murphy got to do something that he doesn't normally get to do, which was show up and chew scenery. Yeah. And he just, and you could tell he was having a blast with yeah. these little cameos. Yes. But he was definitely my favorite of the, the I mean, I know that, like, Heath Ledger's performance is undeniable. Yeah, and iconic, too. It's very iconic. But my favorite villain yeah, is Bane. Bane. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm really sad at the ending they gave him. Yeah. But he is my favorite villain. Yeah, looking back on it and realizing that kind of like the lead up to, like that, you know, we have this great lead up with Bane just for it to end with Miranda, played by Marion Cotillard, kind of like, okay, yeah, so you killed Miranda, my- I thought it was Italia. Well, remember oh, she, she had she a double went, another name. Yeah, because she reveals yeah. herself at the end as Talia Al Ghul. Yeah, you're right. But she was like, I think going by like Miranda Tate or something, you know, earlier in the story. Yeah. And then for the reveal to actually be her kind of like, you killed my dad, so I'm going to have sex with you and then have <laughs> my boyfriend beat you up. Yeah. And he's invincible, except for don't hit him in his mask. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, hold on. But you know what? It's something we... <laughs> funny about it because who knows that all you had to do was hit Bane in the mouth and he's like, oh. <laughs> like, you know, like what? <laughs> out of all the things oh, I do to you, I know. <laughs> that's all I got to do is like disconnect you from your like morphine yeah. that's coming in doses from the mass that you were like put down. <laughs> that was to me like the funniest part of the Bane revelation is realizing that the dude is just high. Yeah, he's high time. all the time. <laughs> Take away my dope. <laughs> but like, that, like he would, you know, like the, 
that thing is just feeding him painkillers so that yes, he can just is. keep going. That's it. And I was just like, that's maybe one of like the funniest revelations. <laughs> yes, it is. But um, of course, then he followed it with one of the movies that we rewatched prior to this, mm-hmm. which was Interstellar. Yes, and that one is one that <laughs> I, I'm I'm very very divided you on that did one. Not. But like, I know that you really like that one. So yeah, like, I don't... like Interstellar, <laughs> yeah. but like you were just it was just so cringy for you. But I like there are parts. Yeah, I know, but like throughout <laughs> it, that's all I heard was like, oh, why. Why? Whenever they went back to Earth <laughs> after the kids are grown. Yes. I, th- I mean, like, Jessica Chastain is a phenomenal actor. Yes. I'm not going to pretend that that was a good performance of hers. Yeah. That was just not... Oh, no. <laughs> that was just not good. I just like the... I just like the overall, like, story. Yeah. There's something about it. Think about it. Like, and... I think it's fascinating because they do about this, like, space and time. Yeah. Even though a lot of it's just, like... At a certain point, Weirdly, like, just impossible, but, like, I get it. It's, yeah. To me, it was something about the human factor that yeah. I just totally touched me. Because remember, when he finally sees the video of Murph, his daughter, older, yeah. and he looks at that video because that he realized him being on that planet. You remember he was on that planet? Seven years, I think. Yeah. Or 24 years. 23. 23 it was, years like, 20... Months, yes. Was, yeah. And you remember, he comes back to the ship... And seven years has passed in Earth time, but he was only on one planet yeah. for like an hour. Yeah, because like the, what the, the calculations heck? that they made was it was supposed to be seven years per hour. Hour, but they it get, was like twenty three years per hour. They, they get back and they've barely been down there an hour, and twenty three years, years have passed, passed because Anne Hathaway, rather than focusing on her like physics, is more she focused said on it's love. love. <laughs> It was love. <laughs> sorry, but that sorry, was the, yeah. the moment in which I looked at it and went like, I am afraid to be on this ship with you. <laughs> I know, but barring that, you know, barring that, yeah. I would say that it was still the human aspect of that was so yeah. beautiful. And I love Matthew McConaughey's like performance in that. Yeah. And he was just so emotionally, like he had me, like whenever yeah. he, when he cried and saw Murph like 23 years older yeah. and he was only on that planet for like less than an hour yeah. and he saw his daughter grow up before his eyes on a video. Oh no, I was, I would have cried. I would have bawled my eyes out. I would have been like, there's nothing left for me to live for. Like I would have bawled my eyes and just seeing him cry like that. I yeah. was like, so like, I don't know. So I love that movie from so, that aspect. I will say that like for me with that movie, I love the opening. Yeah. I like the, the whole beginning where he's on earth. Yeah. We're going to ignore how conveniently he stumbled upon NASA. <laughs> yeah. But the whole beginning when he's on earth. And it's him, and I think her name is Mackenzie Davis, I think, uh, the, the girl, uh, Which girl who plays young Murph. Yeah, Mackenzie, uh, it's a... Uh, or Mackenzie Foy. Foy. Yeah. That's what I was like, I think it's an F. That's what I was like, it's an F, it's Foy. And yeah. it's her and uh, Timmy Tim Chalamet. Yeah, Timmy as, Tim. <laughs> as uh, the young version of his son. Yeah, Tom. Tom I think, yeah, and uh, Tom. Uh, John Lithgow as the dad. you know the dad well, the, uh, the grandfather yeah and you know, his father-in-law his father-in-law yeah you you have like that whole aspect of that opening was really beautiful to me yeah. and was the closest we've gotten to a filmmaker because there's one other filmmaker that tried really really hard and almost got there which was M Night Shyamalan with Signs oh. the only other filmmaker that I think has tapped into the creepiness of E T yeah. 
was Chris Nolan with the opening of that oh, I movie. There's just this tone yeah. where it's it's like it's so beautiful, but there's something kind of creepy about it. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that as a kid you lean into, but are also a little bit kind of wanting to cover your eyes. Yeah, and I think the only other filmmaker who's ever really been able to tap into that perfectly mm-hmm. was Chris Nolan with the opening of that movie. Okay. When they get up into space, I love the stuff when they're in space. I'm going to ignore Anne Hathaway's monologue Her about physics. love trumping physics. Yes. And you, because of you, because you calculating everything wrong, I end up missing my daughter and my son grow up. 23 years went by and I was only on this planet for like 55 minutes. Yeah. Oh no, I would have been so pissed. Yeah. And then I would have like choked her to death. She wouldn't have came back alive. (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh no. There's genuine reason why at that point the movie should have just turned into like a remake of Sunshine, the Danny Boyle movie, which also stars Killian Murphy. But like, we'll just ignore that. (laughs) Every time it started cutting back to Earth, Toward the end, yeah. I was just kind of like, oh boy, yeah. this is getting rough. Yeah. But that's my opinion. I know a lot of people like adore that movie. So yeah. like, I really adore, I adore it, so I, I really liked it. And the one thing that I will say is, like all of his movies, it was a phenomenal theatrical experience yes, that we was. saw multiple times in the theater. Yep. It's like, that's the one thing with him, is that you actively want to see his movies multiple times in the yeah. theater. Except for one that we're coming up on. Now, like, there, there's... They followed up... Inter- he followed up Interstellar with the other movie that we rewatched yes. before this, which was Dunkirk. Yes. That might be my favorite of his. Yeah, you said it was. Like, Dunkirk is, to me, like a true masterpiece achievement. Yeah. He approached the movie with this idea of, like, I'm going to make a third act. Yeah. As the entire film. Mm-hmm. And... He's one of the only people that I have ever seen that really took a style that we all know and love, which is the style of a really well-cut-together trailer. Yeah. A really good trailer is some of the best stuff that you can see out of a film, in my opinion. Yeah. Because, I mean, I love watching trailers. I can sit watch... I watch old trailers all the time because Mm -hmm. that's, like, one of the things I love watching is, like, just how... I think there's an art to cutting together a trailer. I yeah. still believe that there needs to be an Oscar category for trailers. Oh, that would be cool. Um, because they're great editors yeah. that come in and do tremendous work to, mm-hmm. if they do the trailer right, yeah. you want to see the movie. And they still haven't shown it, you enough. But I don't really fully know what I'm getting into. Yeah. I only have a taste of what I'm getting yeah. into. One of the best trailers that people can go back and watch if they haven't seen it or if they haven't seen it in a long time is actually the trailer for The Matrix. Got you. The original trailer for The Matrix is a fantastic trailer Mm -hmm. that really sells you this idea of like, I don't really know what I'm going to go and see here, (laughs) but I know I want to know about this red pill and this blue Blue pill. pill. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. And like, that was a really, really cool thing. You know, but I I love trailers. He took that idea of a well cut together trailer Mm -hmm. and did an entire movie. Oh, awesome. In that way. Mm -hmm. Like, that's always how I see it is like when you hear the music, the way that it ramps up, the Mm -hmm. way that it has peaks and valleys, it reminds you of like an hour and 40 minute trailer. And so I, that was one that I really loved. Also features a very, a very different kind of performance from Killian Murphy. Yeah. And then we get Bane. Well, I'm not used to really seeing him play because yeah. I was like, what? He's very vulnerable. 
he's he's shell shocked. Uh, yep. As Mark Rylance, and he mistakenly kills the that he, kid. He mistakenly kills Barry Keoghan. <laughs> <laughs> very funny when you look at like um, you have the the one kid I'm blanking on his name, uh, who's the son, who's now in House of the Dragons. Yes. You have Mark Rylance. Mm-hmm. You have Barry Keoghan, <laughs> and you have Killian Murphy. Yeah. All on the same boat. Yeah. For like the whole movie. Yeah. And you're like, this is cool. <laughs> and then you have Bane in a plane. Yep. Bane <laughs> in a plane. Could you, could you mean to do that? <laughs> and like, you know, doing an awesome job in Tom Hardy. You know, I mean, he has, to me, kind of like the best moment in the whole movie where he rounds back around. He has no fuel. Yeah. He saves everybody. Yes. He lands the plane. Yep. He sets it on fire. Yep. And he just watches as the people that are about to take him away come yep. over the horizon, and he just accepts it. He's as he's everybody caught. is cheering for him for his success. He's the one getting caught. He's accepting that he's about to be a POW. Yep. For who knows how long. That's what was so crazy <laughs> about that. Oh, that was so wild. <laughs> and it's one of the amazing things. I before um, doing this, I went back and re-listened to the rewatchables that they did on Dunkirk, which was uh, Sean Fennessy, Chris Ryan, and Quentin Tarantino. And they mentioned something that I think is very true, that I think is very interesting about that movie, which is that I don't know who else celebrates their failures quite like England. <laughs> and there's a there's a humility to that, yeah. and there's like a kind of a beauty to that. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I think is really cool is I had seen this happening online, and then they talked about it because Quentin was actually in England when the movie came out. Okay. That people about our age and younger were so excited about that movie because that was a movie that was really about national pride for them. Mm-hmm. And you, when you watch that movie, you really feel that in there. Mm-hmm. You really feel like Chris Nolan is largely considered an American director with an English accent. <laughs> and he essentially is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's a guy who grew up half in England, half in Chicago. Okay. And if you hear his brother Jonathan talk, his brother Jonathan has a thick Chicago accent. Uh, he does? It does not have a British oh, accent wow. at all. That's Nolan wild. has the thick British accent. And he, I think, you know like with that one was able to kind of be like, I am an American studio director, but let me kind of talk a bit about where I come from. Yeah. My English pride and my English pride. And <laughs> you really, really feel that in two moments. The first is my favorite moment of the movie where Kenneth Branagh says, uh, you know, he sees all of the ships coming in mm-hmm. and they say, what is that? And he says home. And all of a sudden the music just yeah. changes into that like beautiful swell and you see all of the boats coming in to pick up all of the men. Mm-hmm. And then the other is at the end, of course, when Kenneth Branagh says, you know, I'm staying. And the guy says, for what? He says, to help the French. Yeah, to and help you're the like, French. wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. just amazing. Yeah. He follows this movie up with the one that I don't think I could ever sit through again. Maybe I will one day, which was Tenet. Oh, uh. No. Okay, so you know me. I have nothing. <laughs> I just don't have anything to say on this one, so you're going to do all the talking because I don't remember anything about that movie. I, I, I did not like it, and that's the most that I do know is I just didn't like it. We watched it, but I, I just can't remember anything about it, honestly. I'm so sorry. I cannot remember anything about it. So I that's that's the end of my, <laughs> that's the end of my synopsis with that film. <laughs> I have seen Tenet three times oh goodness the first was by myself the second was with you Mm -hmm. and the third was by myself Mm -hmm. I wanted to like that movie and just could not bring myself to liking it yeah 
there's not really much else to say other than that. Yeah. I mean, it's... Um, I will say, I think Elizabeth Debicki is phenomenal in that okay. movie. I think she gives a very good performance. Mm -hmm. I think everybody, for the most part, gives a good performance. I just don't... I don't really know. Like, I, I just... I don't really know what that movie was. But, yeah. like... <laughs> The one thing I will say is that having seen Oppenheimer, mm -hmm. where we are now, mm -hmm. I have a lot more respect for that movie. Yeah. I don't know if I really have any interest in going back and rewatching it. Yeah. But I do have a lot more respect for it. Okay. For two reasons. I think, A, the, the that's the one movie where Christopher Nolan finally got to just go like, I don't really care about the audience with this one. I'm going to make a movie for me. Mm -hmm. And this is my movie. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if you all don't understand it. Mm -hmm. I don't care if people are just kind of like, meh, with this one. <laughs> I'm making one for myself. Yeah. And he did, through mm -hmm. and through. That was a one-for-him situation. Yeah. It was a one-for-him situation that was done at an awkward time at Universal. Ooh. He ended up leaving Universal, in my opinion, for good reason, because of issues with the way that they were releasing movies. And, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic was mm -hmm. happening. I think that he was one of the few people that would have actually held out until theaters fully reopened to mm -hmm. release that movie. And Warner Brothers was like, no. Mm -hmm. They put the movie out at a time when none of us really wanted to go to the theater. And it was just that issue where also if they're releasing on streaming, how do you get residuals? How do you get back in? How do, you, you. How, do, how do we figure out all the business end of everything? Because making the movie is only 10% of it. Okay. The other 90% of it is how do I get paid? Yeah. And when all of a sudden you're putting me in a position where I'm just not going to get paid, well then what are we doing here? Yeah. He leaves Warner Brothers, ends up with Universal for Oppenheimer. Okay, so I'm about to say, you made a mistake just like a couple minutes ago. You said... You know, he left Universal oh, for great bad. reason. Yeah. And you met Warner <laughs> Brothers my, the first I time. met Warner Brothers, okay. yeah, sorry. And uh, he ends up over at Universal for Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. Warner Brothers very strategically releases their big summer movie yes. the same weekend, yeah. which is Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Uh -huh. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Me either. I will go and see it, like, at oh, some point. Okay. Like, I'll go see it. Like, I'm interested, but, like, it's I not. I wait until it comes on yeah. a streaming site. I it's one of those movies where I'm interested because it's Greta. Yeah. I I mean I enjoy her films, but I yeah. just don't know about that one. I just like uh it was not like the trailer did not actually strike me all that yeah. much. Like the trailer to me just did not really pique my interest mm -hmm. in any way. And I was like and I felt kind of that that was unfortunate because I was I wanted to mm -hmm. be excited for Greta's big foray into studio filmmaking. Yeah. And I saw the trailer and I just was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. So I've seen the Lego movie, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get to Oppenheimer and mm -hmm. Oppenheimer is the other reason that I have a lot more respect for Tenna is because that entire crew for the most part that he works on in Oppenheimer, he brings over I mean in a uh, Tenet. He brings over to Oppenheimer. Oh, awesome. Okay. Which includes uh, Hoyte von Hoytema, who has been a cinematographer actually since Dunkirk, and uh, Jennifer Lame, his editor, who, mm -hmm. if she does not win the Oscar this year, I really want to know why. Yeah. I want to know what movie is going to come out that is going to be better edited than Oppenheimer. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was phenomenal yeah, what she did. Was. The work that she did is unbelievable. Yeah. I had heard an interview with her where she had mentioned that uh, Nolan had told her when she came in the tenant, like, this is going to be the most difficult thing that you're ever going to do for the rest of your career. Mm -hmm. Kind of like 
scaring her into what she was in for. Yeah. It does make it interesting to me looking back on that movie that like, yeah, she really did already do the toughest movie possible. So Oppenheimer is like, let's yeah. just go, you know, yeah. like we, we can, we can do this. Yeah. I'm not having to make anybody breathe backwards or No, you're right. And when that. you're in sync that way though, it's <laughs> yeah. going to come out beautiful anyway. When yep. you and your director and all those people, when mm-hmm. you're in sync like that, that's going to come out beautiful. Absolutely. And then of course the other big person we were listening to some of his stuff earlier today is, uh, Ludwig Korensen's score. Okay, yes. For the film. Yes. An unbelievable score. He Absolutely also did a score beautiful. for Tenet. And that is just an, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful score. Yeah. That I absolutely love. I'm going to be blown away if it does not at least get a nomination. Yeah. There might be another movie that comes out with a better score this year. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. But I don't really see it happening. Yeah. But, like, that that score was unbelievable. Yes. So, getting into the movie itself now, mm-hmm. it's uh, it was written and directed by by Nolan. Uh, it was adapted from a book called American Prometheus by Kay Bird and Martin J. Sherwin, and produced by his longtime producing partner and wife Emma Thompson, uh, uh, Emma Thomas, and uh, also produced by uh, one of his older collaborators, Charles Robin. Okay. I we're going to go through the cast because yeah. that's like going to be its own thing. But I yeah. guess like before we get into all of that, like prior to this movie, what was your awareness of Robert, uh, of J. Robert Oppenheimer? Not really much, man. Cause yeah. I, I mean, if I'm honest, I never, I didn't have too much interest in those things. Yeah. So for me, not much at yeah. all. Knowing just a little bit about science and about the things he did in physics, just yeah. knowing a, just such a small little dot of things. That's all I knew from just what I read in history books. Other than that, I don't know much about him actually. Yeah. So I I actually went in there totally like clean slate. Yeah. Didn't know what to expect. Didn't know how to feel. Didn't yeah. know how it was going to be portrayed. Anything. Yeah. I didn't know anything. Did you when you saw the trailers? Because we saw the trailer a few times. Did did yeah. the trailer kind of like was that like one of his better trailers for you? Where you were kind of like oh, I'm kind of excited for this one, or was were you just kind of like I don't really know how this one's going to shake yeah, out? Yeah, for me it was I don't really know. Yeah, because I I just don't know much about Oppenheimer. So yeah. because of that, I was like, yeah, I don't know much about any of these people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't yeah. know much. I only know what history tells me and what some of the science books tells me. Yeah. And so other than that, I don't really know much. I have I've never done research outside of that on my own. Yeah, I was never interested in enough. Yeah, and then. I saw the trailer and I was like, okay. I just thought it looked beautiful. Mm-hmm. I just thought the yeah. trailer was beautiful. Other than that, I didn't know anything. I Like I said, I went in with a total clean slate. Yeah. Didn't know what to think about anything. Yeah. I mean, like, I kind of knew a little bit about, but <clears throat> I should say, I know about Oppenheimer and his importance to the you know, creation of the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really know a whole lot about his personal life outside of things yeah, that I had seen. Definitely I, not. I had seen the movie Fat Man and, the, and Little Boy, mm-hmm. you know, like when I was in high school. So I knew essentially the story that this movie told, like in in broad strokes. Mm-hmm. But even then, like I don't remember that movie super well. I, I remember Paul Newman, you know, in there who's playing uh, Leslie Groves, the same character that Matt Damon is playing mm-hmm. uh, in the film. But that was kind of like the the extent of it outside yeah. of that i don't really remember like much else and and he just wasn't somebody that i look back at a whole lot yeah it is interesting though that without tenant we never get this movie 
because of Robert Pattinson. Oh. Robert Pattinson, when they're finishing Tenet during the rap party, gives Nolan a book of Oppenheimer's speeches. Oh, that's awesome. Nolan looks at this and is immediately inspired with the idea of what it, like what is it to unmake a deadly device? Oh. And then picked up American Prometheus, mm-hmm. started doing research into Oppenheimer, and then was like, I I am very interested because he's continuously said that he believes that Robert Oppenheimer is one of the most if is like the most important man yeah. in history. I don't really know like you know quite how much he really fully believes that and how much he says that to get people into his movie Mm -hmm. but you can definitely tell that he immediately responds to this guy after Pattinson gave him that oh that's awesome and it's a it it was an interesting choice for him to take this (laughs) on next because in my opinion this is the movie that is like his masterpiece. Yeah, this, this is, is the yeah. culmination of everything he's done yeah. up to this point with all the movies that we just I mentioned. Would, I would say so. I would say so because like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't even think we were like halfway in. Yeah. And I remember you saying something to me and I, I literally leaned over to you and I was like, I think this is like, <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. I'm like, I'm really loving this movie yeah it was awesome to me and i said that it wasn't even like halfway done yet i i actually remember the specific moment when you said that was when uh oppenheimer is suddenly naked in the interrogation room and florence Pugh, and it's through the pov of emily blunt yeah but you know i told you that i had been thinking that for like the last like 20 minutes i was like i've been thinking that already but i had just spoken to you out loud but i had actually been thinking that for like 20 minutes that was actually the moment where you looked over you're like I think this one is really good. Yeah. I think I'm really liking this one. <laughs> <laughs> so getting into the cast, of course, we have Killian Murphy mm-hmm. as Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. This is an enormous cast. Yes, it is. This is absolutely insane. Yeah. We have Killian Murphy as Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. We have Emily Blunt playing Kitty Oppenheimer, his wife, mm-hmm. his second wife. His second wife, yeah. We have Matt Damon playing General Leslie Groves. We have Robert Downey Jr. as Louis Strauss. We have Florence Pugh as Gene Tatlock. I mean, from here, it's like we start getting into yeah. Josh Hartnett, Casey Affleck, Remy Malek, Kenneth Branagh, Benny Safdie, Jason Clark, yeah. Dylan Arnold, Tom Conti, <laughs> James D'Arcy, <laughs> uh, Dane DeHaan is in here. All in, uh, uh, Aaron Reich is in here. Mm-hmm. Everybody is in this movie. Tony yeah. Goldwyn, David Krumholtz, <laughs> who is unbelievable in this film. Yes. Matthew Modine. Like, yeah. Olivia Thurbury and Josh Peck yeah. re- reuniting after the whackness. Yep. Alex Wolf shows up and you're just kind of like, why is yes, Alex Wolf here? here. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and then of course, eventually we get into Gary Oldman as Harry Truman. Yes. Um, I don't even know where to begin with talking about the cast. Yes, I don't either. I mean, I guess the most obvious part is to just start with Killian. Yeah. And... I mean, like, we've been watching him as avid fans of Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Uh, play Tommy Shelby for quite a few years now. Yeah. It was phenomenal to see him get a big leading role in a major Hollywood movie. Yeah. Like, in a big summer blockbuster. Yeah. 
he's you know like we know that he can lead a movie because we've watched him do it before yeah. we've watched him shoulder all of Peaky Blinders mm-hmm. we know that he's a great leading man of course but he's not really somebody I think is on necessarily the casting director's A-list mm-hmm. for a leading man right now mm-hmm. uh, like prior to this movie mm-hmm. I think he's kind of been one of those guys who somebody will mention they go oh yeah he is awesome yeah, yeah well what is he doing yeah but he's been leading films for quite a while now yeah. in, in a big way. He's also a great theater performer. Mm-hmm. He got his start on the stage with a, a play that got turned into a fantastic movie called Disco Pigs. Mm-hmm. And he's just one of those guys that you're just kind of like, yeah, like every time he does it, you're just kind of like, how do you do this? Yeah. And everybody transformed very well. Yeah. That's the really... Like, that's the big moment for me or the yeah. most beautiful part of the film mm-hmm. is I liked how Christopher Nolan took all these big and major actors, but he, like, they all transformed for this movie. Yeah. And I loved every bit of it. Yeah. I loved every bit of it. I mean, I guess the biggest transformation that it's hard not to talk about is, of course, Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize that was him at first. I was like, yeah. wait. Yeah. But then you see the eyes, and I'm like, that's his eyes, though. Yeah. Like, that's Robert Downey. Because he lost so much weight and all that stuff he for did. this. And I was like, whoa, dude, yeah. you look so different. He has gone on record multiple times over on the press tour for this, saying that this is the best film that he's ever been in. Wow. I think that there's something interesting about this. Yeah. Because I have a theory about Robert Downey Jr. that there is no other actor in the history of Hollywood cinema. Yeah. That has actually played roles in which he actively sheds old skin in front of us. Yep. And what I mean by that is that you have the pre-Zodiac Scanner Darkly period Mm -hmm. where he is heralded for his eccentric performances Mm -hmm. and constantly in the media for his drug abuse. Yes. You know, like the very unfortunate other side of his life. Yeah. He gets himself cleaned up. Mm-hmm. He figures out a way back into getting I insured mean, to be on the film. He back tremendously. And then all of a sudden, he does these roles where he does, you know, Scanner Darkly and Zodiac. Ooh, that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite lines. It's one of the greatest things ever. <laughs> and so, like, he does these two movies where all of a sudden he's playing mm-hmm. an eccentric drug addict. Yes. Or, you know, alcoholic in the mm-hmm. case of, of Zodiac. But he is somebody who is, you know, he's playing this version of himself that he's letting go of. Mm-hmm. Then he gets hired to do Tony Stark. Yeah. Tony Stark, who, in terms of the comics, at a certain point, is an alcoholic mm-hmm. who's trying to reckon with himself. Mm-hmm. And then he finds this place playing, you know, men of power. Yeah you know, extraordinary men. Yeah. That's, you know, kind of the next phase. He sheds the skin of being the guy who's associated with being an addict yeah. to now be associated as, you know, a guy who is, an, you know, somebody who plays extraordinary men. Yeah. Whether it's Tony Stark mm-hmm. or Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. He's an extraordinary individual. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he has kind of a failure with another extraordinary individual movie, which was the uh, his version of Doolittle. Oh, yeah. Doolittle. Okay. And... Then he kind of comes in with this, and we see him shedding the skin of the extraordinary man. Yeah. Which makes me really, really wonder. 
Yeah. What is next for Robert Downey yes, Jr.? <laughs> he can do anything. Like literally, I mean, even remember Tropic Thunder. I don't care what um, nobody said. Tropic he... Thunder is one of the greatest things oh, I've ever seen in my, my life. Oh my goodness, that one was one of the most <laughs> hilarious, like, and morphing of anyone I've ever seen. Man, I don't drop kids into the DVD <laughs> commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that one was. Um, that one was hilarious to me. And an amazing, amazing take. <laughs> like, I thought that was... And then you said, what was it, replicating? It, um, well, so it, that's an interesting little meta thing. And Elvis Mitchell actually is the only person I've ever heard that also said this. Because uh-huh. he brings up and is that black enough yep. for His father, Robert Downey Sr., made a movie. And, you know, it's since his passing, it's kind of a beautiful thing to now be able to say, Robert Downey Sr., a prince. Yeah. Because that is the credit that's given at the front of this movie, oh, Putney awesome. Swope. At the, yeah, uh, Putney Swope. <laughs> in Putney Swope, this movie that he wrote and directed, in the very beginning, the credit for himself comes up and says, written and directed by Robert Downey, and then parentheses underneath it says, a prince. Yeah. <laughs> and since his passing, now it's hard not to immediately note him as Robert Downey Sr., a prince. A prince. <laughs> <laughs> he, when he was making that movie, uh, his lead actor, the movie involves a, a uh, black janitor who is uh, inadvertently hired to be the new CEO of an ad agency, and nobody really knows what to do with this. Yeah. <laughs> the guy comes in and is a, makes a massive overhaul of everything. In real life, the actor that played that character was not able to come back and do ADR and do all the voice work. So Robert Downey Sr. did the voice of the black (laughs) character Putney Swope himself. So Robert Downey Jr., when he's playing a Daniel Day-Lewis-like actor that decides to play a black man and goes through a controversial procedure to dye his skin, (laughs) ends up doing an imitation of his dad (laughs) doing Putney Putney Swope. So it's like people talking about meta. That is truly meta. (laughs) (laughs) That is wild. But yes, that is one of my favorite. Like, (laughs) yeah, he and he didn't get you know any credit for. He got a lot of credit when that movie came out, and but at the same time, it was also marred with controversy that still yeah he's doing like remains today. Yeah, is. Uh, you know, unfortunately, when I look at it, I'm like, that's kind of sad because it was satire. Yeah, it was satire. Like, it was never supposed to be like a mental for like people. It no. was satire. But like, <laughs> I do get that. But it was yeah. hilarious for me. Yeah, I still I, like I Tropic Thunder to yeah. this day. So I'm not going to change that. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> between him and the combination of Bill Hader and Tom Cruise. Yeah. Which still needs to be its own movie. <laughs> As Les Grossman yes. and his producer assistant, yeah, that still needs to be a movie, especially post Weinstein. Yeah. We need the the Les Grossman movie. Yes, it's <laughs> <laughs> like a apple boots with the fur. <laughs> oh man! Now that one I would have loved to have seen because. I didn't even realize uh, th- there was something familiar about Les Grossman, but I was like, he yeah. looks like. He looks like a version of Tom Cruise, but I just could not put my like. And then, then when I seen it, I was like, "No, it looked like Tom Cruise, but it didn't. It did, but didn't." One of my favorite things we were talking about theatrical experiences earlier. One of my favorite things ever was the theatrical experience of seeing that movie on opening day. I got out of school. Yeah, me and I saw a bunch of friends too. went and saw it that night. Yeah, it's a packed theater. There are signs everywhere. Mm-hmm. 
saying this theater does not endorse conversations had in this movie about mentally disabled people. Oh. And uh, we were like, what is about to happen I here? I don't remember that being there. And, and I saw it in theater too, but I don't remember that. We went to, I think if I remember correctly, we actually went to Movie Tavern to oh, see it. Oh, so I was at Regal. And there were these things, and they were putting them up as we were oh. walking in. And we were like, what is about to happen? There was something about the energy of like, this is a comedy that is starting to upset people. And like, we were walking in kind of like all, you know, like visibly a little kind of like, what are we about to see? Yeah. Because you could tell that people were starting to get upset. There were people who were walking out of the theater. There was a lot going on on at eight o'clock for, you know, right before this eight o'clock showing that we were about to walk into. Yeah. We go and see the movie. And one of my favorite things, packed house. And there's, Tom Cruise showing up and you just hear this little murmur in the theater Mm -hmm. and you hear at least four or five people go, dude, I I seriously think that's Tom Cruise. Cruise. (laughs) You recognize the voice too. So that's what I kept saying all through. And then when I just saw it at the end, it was like, let's go Tom Cruise. I was like, oh, I should like go. With the big arms. And and the bald head. That was awesome. And like the fake hairy chest with, yeah. with the uh, Star of David. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh goodness, <laughs> too okay. Funny. <laughs> this is too funny. But yes. But so we have Downey Jr. and Oppenheimer just completely transforming. The other guy who we talked about as soon as we walked out, of course, was Damon. Yeah. And Damon bringing this whole different energy to this. I mean, yeah. we had just seen him give an amazing performance just earlier this year mm-hmm. in um, Air. Yep, in Air. But it was kind of, it, it was one of those performances that you go, he still got it. Yeah, he still got it. And because it is an interesting thing that there are two movies that have come out this year that are true throwbacks to 90s blockbusters. Mm-hmm. There was Air, mm-hmm. which unfortunately, you know, it did well, but it did really well on streaming, Got which it. was unfortunate because yeah, yeah. you wish that it did better in the theater. Yeah. And then the other one, of course, is Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. And in both of them, you have one of the 90s poster children of <laughs> great performances, which is Damon. Yeah. Yeah. And Air is that reliable Damon performance. Yeah. Where you're like, I ah, still got it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And then when you get into Oppenheimer, there's something totally different. Yeah. And it was great rewatching Interstellar because he is phenomenal in that movie. Yeah, he's wild. I, like, you know how just sometimes you're, you're used <laughs> yeah. to, like, certain actors playing that, like, prototype. Like, they just have, like, they're typecast to a role. Yeah. And when I saw him do um, Interstellar and then this, I was like, okay, you can't really typecast him because... He's yeah. really like diverse in a lot of ways. He kind of brings yeah. his own thing to the characters, and I just thought that was awesome. Like, of course, you know, like Matt Damon is just so distinctive. You know, yeah. it's Matt Damon, but at the same time, I still think like I really think like everybody truly became yeah. those people. Like Absolutely. they truly transformed in that film. Absolutely. Uh, one of the other people that we've also seen crop back up this year. And it's great to see him back to work as Josh Hartnett. Oh, yeah. He never went away. No. But if you weren't paying attention to Penny Dreadful or some of the other things that he was doing, he kind of went away for you. Yeah. And I wasn't really paying attention to that stuff. Yeah, so he was like under the radar. So he he had kind of disappeared for me. Yeah. It was great seeing him in this and Black Mirror. Oh, yeah, Black Mirror. (laughs) That Black Mirror episode is, for me, the best out of the new 
Black Mirror uh, uh, the new season. season. Yeah. Because I really was not a fan yeah. of most of this new season. I wasn't either. But I loved that yeah, one with him, him and, and Aaron, Aaron Paul. Paul. Yeah. yeah. And um uh I, I was really, really glad to see him show up in this and really get to give an awesome grown up performance. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like I sometimes I look back at Josh Hartnett when you I still remember, see him as like the teenage yeah. heartthrob and I'm like, he's way past he's that. He's still now. in faculty. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, in your head yes, in still. your head, he's still the kid in faculty <laughs> who snorts the stuff <laughs> yeah. in the rip off of the thing scene. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. I mean, definitely true. Very true. But <laughs> you're you're right but still at the same time like i think he's like just mm-hmm. grown up so much yeah and i loved seeing him yeah. in, in those in in the black mirror episode as well as often i love yeah. seeing him there because i was like yeah, yeah. man he's I was like, like yes like, no one can ever like yeah. tell you that you need to go back to those kind of movies no. man like and you're you're there it was great to see because there was a period where he was trying to break out of the teen thing and move into playing adult roles in movies that just didn't work yeah the biggest one of course was the black dahlia yeah which was a, a debacle on many different levels yeah. you know it was brian de palma showing up to make a movie that he liked at first and then you can tell about halfway through that movie he was like i don't even know why i'm here wow uh there is there are stories that james elroy who wrote the book has told that that movie had a a a first cut that was about three and a half hours it was really really good that then got mangled into this 140 minute thing that exists (laughs) that is awful yeah which they use bulgaria to double as los angeles yeah and that was just one of those movies that you saw and you were like, I wish that Josh Hartnett didn't go down this road, but yeah. he kind of did. He took a lot of roles that were the kinds of movie star roles that you're supposed to take at a certain point in your career. Yeah. And they were all movies that just didn't work. They were all movies that should have worked on paper. Yeah, Brian De Palma adapting James Elroy's masterpiece is on paper yeah. perfect. Okay. But then, and then you know he's surrounded by Aaron Eckhart and Scarlett Johansson. Yes, and um, uh, I think Fiona Shaw shows up mm-hmm. at one point toward the end of that movie. It's one of those movies where you're like, everything on paper says that this is going to be a great film. Yeah, and then you see it, and you're like, what went wrong? Yeah, this was bad. <laughs> Just, and it reminded me of another remake of like L.A. Confidential as well, which was another James Elroy. Yeah, you know, and then that's what it really yeah. looked like. Like someone was capturing that. And it, it just, it didn't come out yeah. good. You know, it's like he, he had a few others that were just kind of like, ah, uh, this is, this is unfortunate yeah. that we went down this road. Yeah. But it's great to see him coming back. I know a lot of people have been praising him on Penny Dreadful for years. Yes. I never saw any of it. Me either. I, I'm I curious think I saw, to I think I saw maybe it. like one episode and that was yeah. the very first one. But at that time, it had been on. Yeah. But there were so many other things that I was trying to keep up with that that one just fell under the radar, man. Yeah. It really did. But now I want to like actually like go back yeah. and watch it so I can see like where he was doing while we weren't really paying attention yeah, I do to, too. to now. You yeah, know? I do too. I would love to go back and rewatch that. Um, you have Casey Affleck show up. Oh, yes. In one of those roles and one of those moments where you're you're kind of leaning in because I think both of us were kind of like, is that his voice? Yeah, we yes. know it's Casey Affleck. Yeah. The way he spoke, I was like, that's Casey Affleck. Yeah. Just, his voice is so distinctive. It like, is. You're like this. He's got like this weird voice that for some reason cracks yeah. a lot while he's talking. Yeah. And that, I've never really understood it, but it's a very distinctive <laughs> voice. 
And we're like, there's no way that he's in here. Yeah. And of course he is. He was also an interstellar. Yeah. And it was like, he just shows up and just serves a fastball and then walks out. It was amazing. (laughs) Kenneth Branagh, uh, you know, serviceable as ever. Like, you know, just like one of those actors is a true working actor. Yeah. He shows up. Gives a great performance and walks right back out the door. Yes. Just like, I mean, it's like him and Sam Jackson. You don't have very many working actors anymore. Yeah. Like, lately, it doesn't really feel like there's a lot of them around. Yeah. But he's one of them. And the other one that's there, that's my favorite performance in the movie, that is not going to get any kind of love at the award season, I don't think, but was Dave Crumholtz. Oh, yes. Dave Crumholtz is my favorite performance in this movie. Yeah. I would... Put this movie back on if I have it on Blu-ray just to watch his scenes. I loved his scenes, man. I really did because he was just so... That's the friend you want to keep around. That's the friend you want to have no matter what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Up, down, good, bad, the ugly. You want that kind of friend. And to me, he was that for Oppenheimer. So I really love that, especially when he gives him the orange. It's like a bookend, you know, from start to finish. It's like this... This thing that solidifies him. So it's really awesome. I yeah. really loved his character. He he comes in in the film. Introducing, but I wouldn't hex him, though. I wouldn't say that what you said. Well, I, I feel this way because when you see a lot of the stuff right now, he's the one guy that doesn't get mentioned. Well, I think and, you shouldn't say anything, man. And I, I, I will say, knock on wood, yes, knock that, on wood he, he, uh, <laughs> that he does end up getting some kind of love yes, at the end of the year because man, that I, would be a I honestly that would be a straight robbery <laughs> yeah i agree it would be a like like no that he, would be a faux pas <laughs> he is somebody that we have every time he shows up in a movie we call him out yeah we do and we do. you know i think that we started kind of first calling him out starting with freaks and geeks yeah with freaks and geeks where he plays uh uh schweiber's older brother yeah that comes back from college but he's only in like one or two episodes he's, yeah and only then he's in, out only in those couple yeah. but he he shows up and he gives this performance this a performance in a totally different it goes show. it gets more serious it does it gets more dramatic with him so it's just like wow and it's he he shows up and he does this thing that you look at and you just go like that's a real per- everybody else is in freaks and geeks <laughs> And then they just got this guy that showed up that just is this person. Yeah, he is. And that's how it felt. Yeah. And that was one of those things where you're like, that's a standout kind of thing. And I know most people probably don't even remember him in uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, but I love yeah. him in 10 Things I Hate He was great in that. And that was another one where you're just <laughs> yeah. kind of like, who who is this guy and how does he do this so well? Yeah. And then, of course, he's shown up in all this stuff since then. I mean, yeah. he, was in, he has a great bit in Hail Caesar. Oh, yes. I remember If that. anybody goes and watches Hail Caesar... Uh, it, it is a great movie to watch right now, especially with the writer's strike mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. It is a perfect movie to <laughs> put on right now and see Dave Crumholtz as a uh, very cynical writer. Yeah. <laughs> who delivers a very dogmatic speech yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about the the writer's manifesto in Hollywood. Yeah. That is a very interesting film. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, it's like... It, it, uh, the one person in there who kind of like threw me off a little bit, but not in a bad way. But I was just kind of like, "What was Remy Malik?" Me too. Well, he, it didn't throw me off. It was just surprising because I don't remember seeing him in any of the previous yeah. like listing, like for cast or 
Yeah. Just he wasn't in any of the trailers or anything. So it was just like a this big like surprise cameo for me. I was like, what? Yeah. Malik is in here? Like I didn't even know he was in there. He shows up essentially playing a really awkward dude. But who, that's like all. <laughs> yeah, who's who's kind of like stepped on by Oppenheimer a little bit, or so we well, perceive. Well, not really stepped on. Well, it, it's like that's not true. <laughs> so you can perceive. You know, he knocks the thing out of his hand, and, but you, you remember know, kind he of ignores he, him when he talks to him. Yeah, but you remember he, when he did it? He kind of slapped it by mistake, but didn't. Yeah. But failed to say I'm sorry, but he kind of yeah. knocked it out by mistake. It wasn't even like it was like a person like I just want oh, you yeah. to. Uh, he and mistakenly knocked it out, but never acknowledged that he did it. Yeah, and it's like there there are these little things with the two of them together where you're kind of like well, you can understand in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. Think about it. He was under all this pressure. Yeah, they were steadily telling it, it has the the bomb has to be done by this day, by yep. this day, this. And now here are two men approaching him about signing some protest that he hasn't even read through. So yeah. you want me to put my John Hancock on something <laughs> yeah. that you are protesting, but I don't know what the heck is going on. Like, yeah. and then you're catching me at a time where I'm trying to jet. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I would have had the same reaction, even though later I would have been sorry for it. Yeah. I, I would have had the same reaction in the moment. Yeah. And it was very interesting because the way that they kind of orchestrated his character was like, this could go one of two ways with him. Of course, when he gets up on the stand, yeah. it goes the better way. And he delivers... Because you realize he was still a good human. Yeah. But I thought he was going to try to take Oppenheimer down. I thought because so, Because think too. about it. Often, we are very unforgiving people. Sorry, I just got to say mm-hmm. this. We can be very unforgiving. That's what this council culture is. Yeah. is. Yeah. It's just being very unforgiving of other human mistakes. Yeah. Like, we just made mistakes. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying Mm -hmm. it's okay to forgive because we make mistakes. Yeah, We all make them. Yep. The only difference between us and, like, actors and the people in the spotlight is that they're in the spotlight. Yeah. So you get to see theirs, like, out in the open while ours are a little hidden behind doors. Yeah. That's the only difference to me. So that's why I'm not really for the cancel culture because I'm like, we all make mistakes. And that's how I like the way they had it in the film. You thought the guy was going to... Yeah. want to just ring Oppenheimer a new one for being so rude yeah. but it's almost like he just understood he's human Yeah, he was an asshole in the moment yeah. <laughs> it, that doesn't mean I want to tear this man's life apart yeah. just because he was an asshole in the moment to me yeah. earlier you get what I'm saying yep. so you gotta be forgiving with these yeah, things <laughs> absolutely and then you know of course we had uh, and it was interesting to see Rami Malek kind of playing this sort of like awkward background role and then he shows up and delivers this monologue that mm-hmm. just kind of comes out of the blue. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Rami Malek, he can, <laughs> he can do some things. Okay. I, I didn't really pay attention to you before, and now I am. And, oh, but I always okay. Well, I mean, like, in terms of, like, the character. Oh. You know, it's like that entire idea of, like, I wasn't really paying attention to your character before, and now I am. Well, this you know why? Because it's like, and they I did that it. on purpose. Yeah. Oh, yeah, They did it on purpose. Nolan did it on purpose. It was just like... He's a little bit behind, you know, in the shadows, in the shadows. And then also he comes out on the, in, at the end yeah. in this whole press conference and he's like, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't do this. Other. And I'm like, okay, now you got him in the spotlight. But at first he was in the shadows yeah. <laughs> earlier in the film. So it was really funny. And then, of course, uh, Jason Clark showing up, another guy that we point out every single time yeah. that we see him. Yeah. Who's just one of those phenomenal actors yeah. that shows up and does something. Also, weird thing. The guy now at this point in his life is a dead ringer for Michael Mann. 
Oh, he can't. Oh. If you look at pictures of Michael Mann <laughs> next to pictures of Jason Clark, and they work together oh, too. Oh, that's funny. He could play Michael Mann in the <laughs> Michael Mann biopic. That's funny. Which, if anybody ever wants to do a movie about the making of Miami Vice, just cast Jason Clark <laughs> as Michael Mann, and you're already running. <laughs> and then just bring funny. Colin Farrell back, bring Jamie <laughs> Foxx back. back, bring John Hawks back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but John Hawks died in there. He did, and it also <laughs> presented one of. And I say this with all of the love and affection in my heart for that movie and for Jamie Foxx. <laughs> oh, yeah. The worst moment in Jamie Foxx's career on camera was right before John Hawks is killed when he says, Alonzo, you can't, you can't go home. Oh, no. And it was so bad. Oh, no. And I say this with all of the love in my heart yes. because I adore that movie. You do. You <laughs> love that movie. So it's funny that you're saying that because you really love that movie. There's, there are some things in that movie that are just... <laughs> bad but i love it <laughs> but i can be objective enough to say some of this is bad yeah uh i love seeing tom conti as albert einstein yeah it's also interesting that if you bring him up he's somebody you have to explain to people who he is oh which that didn't happen for me so oh, yeah. you saw him and you saw it's, the crazy white wall there i was like yeah. that's albert einstein <laughs> <laughs> well i mean uh, uh uh not einstein but conti as an actor a oh, lot of people don't like, really okay. realize who he is. Okay. Of course, he was in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah. He's down in the pit yeah. with Bruce Wayne. Oh, he's yes. the one who's helping him, yes. you know, through all of that. And then he's in a great movie with David Bowie called Merry Christmas, Mr. Oh, Ross. So you were just talking about him, the person, not the actor. He, he's this <laughs> phenomenal actor that nobody knows who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he is a true chameleon. Yeah, he chameleon. He I, is a chameleon. He I just would, blends in with everything. I would equate him to kind of like... You know, if somebody were to look at somebody like Dave Crumholtz yeah. in like 20 years. Yeah. And all of a sudden Dave Crumholtz is showing up and, you know, the next big, whoever Nolan's successor is. Yeah. Is showing up in one of their movies playing this kind of side part. People will be like, that guy's amazing. Yeah. And there will be like the me or you in the audience going, yeah. that's Dave Crumholtz. And people yeah. are like, I don't know what you, you said words. Yeah. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know that person. <laughs> um, the... Uh, kind of uh well before we get to kind of like the last two people that i wanted to talk about the other person is how did you what did you think about benny safty i thought he was awesome yeah he did a really great job uh, and i'm not even talking about ben safty like yeah that i'm talking about his character in the film though pissed me off yeah 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 <laughs> because his character pissed me off. Was, he ben safty is a great actor but his character pissed me off yeah. because his character, I remember, talk, was talking to Oppenheimer about politics. Yeah. And then you got the very thing that you said, the lines were blurred for your perception of Oppenheimer. You told this man yeah. that you don't know where he stands and not to get involved in all the politics and all that stuff. And you did that very thing yeah. to try to take him down because he would not approve your hydrogen bomb. Yeah, you know, it's really, really interesting that he, he is maybe playing not only the hardest part in the whole entire movie. Mm -hmm. This is very interesting to me because I don't know if you knew about this. Um, he announced recently he's leaving directing with his brother. Oh, is he? So the new Safdie Brothers movie that's coming out with Adam Sandler. Apparently it's Adam Sandler, Megan Thee Stallion, and a few other people. It might even be Timothy Chalamet. Maybe Chalamet is attached to it. I thought they it. said Adam Sandler and Tim. I saw like a thing of them together, and I was like, oh, or do they have a movie out? They might be attached to it. I know the movie keeps getting pushed back for production. It's had a lot of production okay. issues. Um, 
It was originally supposed to be co-directed by them. Okay. It is now only going to be directed by Josh. Mm. And Benny has walked away and decided that he wants to focus on being an actor. Wow. We have seen him giving performances in which he plays pivotal and critical characters. Yeah. That are tough performances to pull yeah. off in really interesting auteur-driven films recently. Yeah, he has. With, whether it was um, Licorice Pizza um, um, what is his first one that he did with Robert Pattinson? Well, that was a memory. That was a Safdie Brothers film. It was, he, but he was still in front oh, yeah, of it. He in, was still in good time. He's amazing time. in that movie. Yes. But he's showing up. Give it. But he was also recently in um, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Oh, he was in that. As well. He's in that as well. And I love that book. I don't know if I would watch it. I've actually heard very good things about the movie. Oh, okay. So whenever you want to watch it, we can watch it. Okay, be because that movie <laughs> is great for your daughters that started yeah. middle school. Yeah. Like fifth grade into I've, sixth grade. I think that movie is great. But I was like, I don't know if I'd like it as a movie. Even like if I were, I don't know if I would like it, but I love that book. <laughs> I've heard extremely positive things about it. So okay. if ever you want to watch it, we can watch it. Okay, awesome. Um, But... It's interesting seeing him in this movie because he had two very hard things to pull off. One was the Hungarian accent. Mm -hmm. I have heard numerous people say, I don't really necessarily know if that's a Hungarian accent, but I'm going to let it slide. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I don't really know what a Hungarian Me accent either. sounds like per se, so Me I'm not going to say yes or no. I'm assuming, knowing the kind of research that went into their films, mm -hmm. that he did that same kind of detailed research to play that role Got and you. get that accent down. I don't know. Yeah. I can't speak to how good or bad it is. Yeah, me either. The other thing that was very complicated about that role to me is that he is the coldest and most analytical character in that whole entire film to me. Yeah. And he had to bring a tremendous amount of life into it. Yeah. That was really, yeah. really hard to do. You have these beats with him where he's like rubbing the, you know, the, sun, sunscreen. the, the sunscreen on his face yeah. and he looks over and goes... Is it rubbed in? You know, and he's like, the guy's like, yeah, and he's just slathering and it, it all over like himself. it's like dry humor. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, he has these beats where he's not being funny, but it's very funny. Yeah. Also, I want to call out that I, I am pretty sure that him with those glasses on and the sunscreen and the way he's looking, did you notice how much he looks like? Doctor Strangelove, the character. What? I didn't. I didn't notice. Like, but, you, like now I want to go ahead and see. If you it, like no, a look notice. at Doctor Strangelove, the character, <laughs> when he's sitting there with his shades yes. on and he's like trying to control his arm from salute yes. from doing the Heil Hitler salute. Yes, I remember. He looks so much like <laughs> that character. Just the way that they frame him and have him done up and everything. I was like, why does he kind of look like Doc? I forgot to mention that to you when we were uh, when we got out of theater. Yeah, but. He is such a cold and analytical character yeah. that he has to bring such tremendous life to that when you get to that moment at the end where he says, you know, where they ask him, would you, you know, trust Oppenheimer with, you know, the, you know, being in charge of all this stuff. And he simply says, like, he said many things that were very confusing to me. So, you know, I never understood. And then, I, you know from. what I kept thinking? And now you're confusing to me because yeah. you were just speaking to Oppenheimer years ago about that that writing that political line because you remember he even said he said but you're getting very political like you're past being a scientist you're no yeah. longer thinking from a scientist yeah, you're a politician yeah now. you're a politician now but you said it with such like disdain and like yeah. it was not a good thing but then you play politics so yeah. then what are you now yeah that's why it was just so funny it, it was a very interesting character because like from a moral standpoint mm -hmm. that character is very gray yeah 
And see, are you it, talking it, about um, uh, Ben Safdie's character? Yeah. See, but at first and, I didn't think he was. Yeah. I really honestly didn't think he was. I thought it mm-hmm. was so set in stone, black and white, yeah. until he I saw him like all of a sudden switch sides to take Offer Hummer yeah. down. That's when I was like, nah, homie, you getting your feelings involved now. Yeah. You told him once yeah. that he was becoming a politician when he still should be more of a scientist. You yeah. told him he was no longer in that realm. So that means now neither are you. Yeah. And I I think that like what he ended up pulling off with that, being this person who you look at like where he you know you look at where he's always coming from and he's coming from the standpoint of it always being about the work yeah it always being about the science yeah that's why it felt so and, black and white for me and at the same time though you look at some of the decisions that he made mm-hmm. and you wonder where is the thought process in the decisions that you're making? Yeah. Like what is the thought process yeah. in the decisions that you're making? But that's how because I just knew that that, that meant nothing years later once yeah. they were trying to take Oppenheimer down. He, he was just upset that Oppenheimer didn't agree with building mm-hmm. the hydrogen bomb and really wasn't behind him. Yeah. Even when he was, you remember he, they said he was on the team at one point, but he just wasn't agreeing with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think he like, I just think that character really did not like, that and he to me he took it too personal yeah but you were just telling him that man years ago yeah. not to take it that way yeah. and you did yeah so your analysis was flawed mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very flawed but like and i love that don't get me wrong yeah, me i'm too. talking about it because yeah. i love oh, me too. that portrayal of I, that character i did too i was he was the one when he first showed up i knew he was in there from the trailers of mm-hmm. course when he first showed up in the movie and i heard his voice yeah I was really wondering how that was going to go. Yeah. And then the more we got into the, the movie, the more I was like, what he's pulling off right now is very hard to do. Yeah. This is unbelievable. Yeah. And I, I absolutely adored it. Yeah. The last two people that we have to really talk about, and this is an interesting thing to me. So I guess to start, how do you personally feel about Nolan and the way that he deals with female characters in his stories? See, when I get asked stuff like that, I don't know what to think because I don't think on those realms. I'm never going, he doesn't. Well, yeah. He does or doesn't. Like, to me, either it's a great character or it's not. I could care less if it's man or woman. Either it's great or it's not. It's interesting because he has a track record of getting a lot of criticism for writing very thin female characters. Now, I agree and disagree with this okay i think that some of the characters that have been criticized in particular marion cotillard in um not in dark Knight rises i did think that was a flimsy character but in inception, inception yeah. i did not think that was a flimsy character but a lot of other people believe that it is yeah. and felt that it was he has this thing where it's like a lot of people will look at his stuff and say he's a great filmmaker yeah. but his female characters sometimes suffer and are not very interesting okay so maybe okay Hmm, I got to think more on that one because just now having somebody bring it to my attention, I can't give you my full like yeah. thought on that because I'm starting to think about it now. But what I will say is that in Inception, when I saw Marianne Cotillard's character, I never thought it was downplayed. The only thing I would say is I guess I made my own because I think sometimes it's up to the um, kind of like the person who's watching the movie to yeah. see what perception that they find in that movie. Yeah. I'm saying it's set, right? Because it's a movie. What the plot is about, what this, this, this. But sometimes there's different things that you 
see that's a little extra in there that maybe you know what I mean like somebody else thought but never said it out loud like for me Marion Cotillard was a ghost yeah so she was simply that for me yeah what how big could she be as a ghost yeah she was this fleeting thing in his life that was always kind of like boo yeah <laughs> and it would come back to hunt him whenever like it could mm-hmm. I, outside of that i didn't see what flaws or what, yeah. how thin it was because i thought that that portrayal of it was exactly what it was supposed to be which yeah. very was very ghost-like for yeah. me so i don't know i personally thought that the character she played was quite fascinating. She was one of my you know favorite characters in that whole story, and I thought she did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. I think that for the most part, I think that you know it's like Nolan can sometimes end up inadvertently writing in the character who's just the love interest, mm-hmm. and I think that that's by nature of a lot of the kinds of stories that he chooses to tell. Yeah, I think that Rachel Dawes is an inherently uninteresting character in Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. but. I also think that's just kind of by nature of the story that you're choosing to tell. That is just a generally uninteresting character. Okay. I don't think that um, Katie Holmes in the first movie or uh, um, Maggie Gyllenhaal in the second movie did a bad job at all. I thought they were both great. Yeah. But I just think that that's one of those characters that how much can you really do with that That's why I was going to say to me, and that's what I thought with the Inception character. I was like, but how much are you trying to... If that's not if he didn't write them to be prominent, then how much do you yeah. expect them to be? Because first to have that kind of analysis on that character, first they got to be prominent for me yeah. to see how thin it is. I'm like they're they were never supposed to be prominent, so I don't know how. I mean, unless you just wanted them to have this extra layer of like Supergirl to them, yeah. especially for like yeah. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal and yeah. Katie Holmes. I'm like unless you wanted them, but they were already the characters that were in. Like, the comic books, is what were they to you? Because were they that yeah. to you in the comic books? So then why would he have them like that in the movie? So we got to understand sometimes that yeah. that visual of those yeah. things. <laughs> I, I, think that, I think that there are valid criticisms there, but I largely don't always agree with them just by nature of how I feel when I watch the movies. Okay. But what is interesting... Then I would that, say make them... Um, you know, one day, I guess, when he makes a more woman-driven yeah. movie, and then I see how he can... Yeah. What kind of characters and how he makes them in depth, then I can... I will tell yeah. you my full enough. But, like, until then, and I don't... The, the the ones he's written so far are so, to me, set. Yeah. I don't know what else he... You would like for him to do. Yeah, I agree. I think that this is very interesting, specifically because of the two characters in Oppenheimer. Okay. Talking about Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh. Oh, yeah. Both of which Oh, and Emily I Blunt, think, man, she can hang with the best of them. Emily Blunt. She could hang with the best of them. So, <laughs> I say this with all the love and respect for Florence Pugh, because I really do adore her as an actor. But to get her out of the way first, Florence Pugh was amazing in this movie. Yeah, she was amazing, but she's always amazing. She's always amazing. She is unbelievable in this movie. She did a lot of stuff, and I'm not talking about her showing her body. Oh, she did yeah. a lot of stuff that was very risky in this yeah. film. She played a character that very easily could have been an overdrawn, like, I am dealing with... Femme fatale like, kind of. Yeah, femme fatale kind of, like mentally anguished character yeah. and she brought so much humanity to that yeah. role i was very very floored by her yeah and that was a very risky role for her to take on yeah. and she did it with tremendous grace of course getting into emily blunt though yes 
That is the hardest part in the movie yes, to me. she was great. That, of she all of the roles great. in that movie, in my opinion, outside of Oppenheimer, that's the hardest role yeah, in the whole movie. That, awesome. to me, when I see that people are kind of like, eh, on her character, mm-hmm. is about like being eh on Tom Cruise and Rain Man, mm-hmm. who has the harder role yeah. in that movie. Tom Cruise and Rain Man has the harder role. He has to be the character that you hate throughout the whole movie, yet still have sympathy for. Yeah. And... That's kind of how I felt about Emily Blunt's character. Not the same thing, but that she had the hardest role mm-hmm. in that whole entire movie. Yeah. She had to be the kind of wife that's falling apart in the background. Yeah. But she had to always be playing to the foreground. Oh, yeah. Because she was the, to me, what I say, I know this is a weird phrase to say but she was the rumbling underbelly she was it was yeah. like boo, boo, boo. like you know yeah. how you can see everything in front but behind you it's like boo, 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 boo. Yeah. like you could like and you're like looking around going what yeah. <laughs> like you have to know where that sound is coming from yeah. and she was that to me she was it's like you have to turn around and know where it was coming from because to me she hung when i say she can hang with the best one i mean as an actress but i also met in the film yeah to me, when I saw her, I was just like, she's like the epitome of like one of the guys. Like mm-hmm. I'm hanging with one of the guys. Yeah, she is. In my opinion. You get what I'm saying? Like she had the very, that beauty, ladylike beauty. But at the same time to me, she had this very kind of like, I can hang with all the, the, yeah, the guys. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what I saw from Absolutely. <laughs> and her performance in that to me was just kind of astounding. Yeah. I was astounded by what she was doing. She... Recently, like it was uh, maybe like two or three years ago, if even that, mm-hmm. might have been less, had um, made a statement where she said that she was sometimes tired of being constantly handed the role where she is just like the cold, calculated badass. Yeah. And it was very clear that she very intentionally took this role. Yeah. Where she is playing a housewife who, when you first meet her, says that she was a biologist yes who graduated to housewife yeah yeah in a very cynical way yeah like she does not say this with a hint of irony or humor no, but you know it what's so crazy deep cynicism it's very deep cynicism but it's like she was still so very well aware of the times yeah that it's almost like she didn't bother bother to argue that yeah but it was this that's why i said she was like the rumbling underbelly there yeah. was something to it where she wished she had that kind of, uh, she had the ability herself, I'm talking about as a woman, yeah. to be in the forefront in creating things and being held. But yeah. not because she just wanted the, she didn't want, not just because she wanted the praise. Yeah. I think she wished she just could have been seen in that way yeah. as a woman in that time. Yeah. But it's almost like she just knew that that just wasn't so, it's almost like she's youth saw her reacting to things that she could not say. Yeah. That's what it seemed like to me. Yep. She was always reacting to things she could not say. Yeah. And it was phenomenal to see, you know, the the way that she so, like, breathlessly portrayed a woman who is already going through postpartum depression before she's even going through it. Yeah. Like, from the moment that you meet her, yeah. all of the signs of where she is going but maybe right that was the point because she said she was a, a biologist turned housewife. So that tells you, like, unless I get married to a man, I won't be seen. Yeah. So me being in biology and having a degree, that did nothing for mm-hmm. me. That's what was so sad. That's why I mean, like, so you can always tell there was that undercurrent of that. Yeah. Like, what else could she do? She she was not looked at as someone who could make 
any change in that science field. She was yeah. looked at as the law of the law in the science field. Yep. And you could tell. And she wore it very well. That's why I said she was always reacting to something she could not say, but you knew it was there. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it was it was phenomenal to see that. The, yeah. To see the way that she portrayed that, the way that she dealt with that character. Yeah. Because that was that was a hard role, man. That was a really, really hard role. And I was I was blown away. I, I thought that the you know, I mean, the obvious moment that she has is mm. the moment at the end with Benny. Oh, that was beautiful. And but to me, the the real moment of the movie is when you see the shift of how she deals with the interrogation. Yeah. And it's this one moment in the movie where outside of when he first meets her and mm. they're riding horses and talking and she's explaining, you know, her first husband was nobody, her second husband died, her third husband was... And she's going through her life mm -hmm. and you see the quickness with which she's able to go through her life, like the quick wit yeah. that she goes through her but life she with. always seemed very disconnected. She was. I'm talking about to all her husbands, even yeah. Oppenheimer at times. Yeah. Like in the film when I looked, I was like, she just always seemed very disconnected. Yeah. I'm talking about to her life, to her children, to her husband, just everything because it's... It almost seems like a woman that just knew, like, I know my place and my role. Yeah. But this is not but it's what not I, for me. Yeah, yeah, it's not what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. But it's what I have to accept. Yeah. But it's not what I wanted. Yeah. And it, <laughs> so I was just like, wow. <laughs> and that was, like, one of, like, the, the most, to me, like, the most interesting things about when all of a sudden she has that moment in the interrogation. And she really kind of like you see how fast she actually is yeah you see how fast she is as a person how sharp she is as a person yeah and you get this moment where all of a sudden she's not drinking herself under no she's really really like i can actually hand you to you without you even knowing it yeah like i am like the quickest and sharpest knife in this room yeah that all of you have ignored yeah Including my husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was one of those things that, like, she says so much with that character, just with her eyes. Yeah, she's Just the lot. way that she looks at everything in that movie. Yeah. That was an unbelievable performance. Yeah. And I very, very much hope that that gets recognized. Me too. At, like, as the year goes on. Yeah. So, did you have anything else that you want to talk about? No, with it, was just, it was amazing. <laughs> I, one thing I did want to bring up before we wrap up is... Uh, what do you like? Do you, like how do you feel about like where this movie will be when it comes to end of the year and awards time? Oh man, I have no clue. Yeah, I mean, I felt like if I had any like pull or saying it matter, it would definitely be in my top. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. But you just never know how people are going to lean yeah. because this movie is kind of like what mid year. Yep. So by the time the end of the year comes, sometimes some movies are forgotten about. Though I don't... Yeah. I can't imagine this one being forgotten about, but some movies are forgotten about so, by half, like by the end of the year. I agree. The last movie that I saw, that, that we saw, mm -hmm. that would do what I think this movie could do, mm -hmm. but I hope doesn't quite have the same kind of... Uh, uh, kind of outcome. Outcome. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, okay. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a great summer movie. Yes. And all of a sudden, awards time came around. It was nominated for everything, but it didn't really quite get there. Yeah. I do really, really, really hope that Nolan potentially gets it for director. Yeah. 
I don't really know what else is going to come out this year. Yeah. This, you know, I think one thing with Barbie that kind of works against it and mm-hmm. works against Greta just a little bit is the Oscars have not traditionally been very fond of holding up a movie that was selling toys and comic books. Yeah. Like just so I mean that might very well I might end up seeing it and saying that was the best directed movie of the year so far. Yeah. But traditionally speaking, they normally don't really hold those movies up. They also don't normally really treat comedies very well. Yeah, and like you said, that one reminds me of how they treat like superhero movies. Yeah. So I just can't imagine it being Yeah. In that place, but that's okay too. Uh yeah. And so I don't really know what else is going to come out this year. It's going to quite hit this thing where you're looking at it going, this is obvious. Guys, <laughs> like, just hand it to him. Yeah. <laughs> I do agree that, like, if it loses out on adapted screenplay, I don't think that that's necessarily, like, a massive loss, depending on what it's up against. Yeah, that depends. Yeah. But that's why I say you just, so far, yeah. if you say so far, yeah. how can it be... Yeah. forgotten <laughs> yeah that's just and, my take on it yeah so far yeah how it's it's mid-year how could it be forgotten so yeah. far so far yeah so and, it's just about what comes after and yeah. what hits that note but to me it's it already hits such a big note for me yeah that it's just hard to forget yeah it's hard to forget so. yeah it's gonna be interesting there's it's some an epic it was a, it was it was a tremendous epic there's we have a few other major films from major filmmakers coming out this year yeah Sofia Coppola has Priscilla coming mm-hmm. out about very interesting that it's coming out this year after mm-hmm. Elvis. Mm-hmm. That it's a movie about Priscilla Presley. Okay, and she's got that coming up. We got another Wes Anderson on top of Asteroid City. Yes. coming up. That one might not get released until next year, but we'll see. Okay, and then we also have uh, David Fincher's new movie, The Killer, okay. with Michael Fassbender. Okay, right around the corner. Okay. That is super exciting. And then, of course, Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. So we have some major things yeah. that are about to hit up some against this. Ones. Some deep ones. Yeah. Okay. But I, I think it'll be... I definitely think this is one of those movies that is going to be hard not to recognize by the end of the year. Yeah, to me too. Yeah. It was just too good, and I cannot wait for it to come out on Blu-ray. Yeah. So that I can own it and rewatch all the Dave Crumholt scenes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he was awesome. He was really awesome. Man. Standout star, man. Yes. Standout star. Absolutely. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, I'm Scott, and I'm Brittany, and this is the Film Cafeteria. Thanks for tuning in. Yes.